This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey. Let's go. We wanted to bring these conversations around AI in terms of colonialism as well, but also in terms of like okay. military power. Like a company that is 90% male or white, of course, you will end up with biased systems. Mm. Trying to understand somebody's personality from their facial characteristics adopted by eugenics and Nazis. We know that it's very wrong, but it's coming Mm. back now with artificial intelligence and facial recognition. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it CBAE for short. It's presented by the director of CBAE, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today? I'm really looking forward to today's podcast, in which we explore different perspectives on creativity and AI with someone who has considerable experience of working at the intersections of creativity AI and art. That person is Irini Papadimitriou. Irini is the creative director at Future Everything, a UK-based agency that seeks to empower citizens, communities and project partners to harness art and technology in order to create something we really do need at the moment, positive change in the world. At Future Everything, Irini shapes creative and artistic visions and develops curatorial themes on ideas for new programmes. She joined Future Everything after 10 years at London's Victoria and Albert Museum, where she was the digital programmes manager, and her own display, called Artificially Intelligent, 
was exhibited in the museum in 2018 to help us to confront our complex relationships with technology and ideas surrounding AI, invisible technological infrastructures and the boundaries of humanness. Irini, good morning. How are you today? Hello, Neil. Good morning. Thank you for having me. That's okay. Where are you this morning? I am in Manchester. Very nice. How's grey? A bit grey. I was going to warn you. You have to ask people in Manchester how is the weather. I can just about see a window beside you as we talk. Is there? What's the? What can you see outside your window? Just to paint a picture for our listeners. Oh, oh, yeah. There is a, an internal courtyard in our building, so there is. Um, yeah, there are a few trees and uh, and birds as well, but well, you can't hear them. <laughs> trees and birds. Well, we might ask you to open our window later. And see. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, in terms of activities, what you're up to at the moment? What kinds of projects are you engaged in? Just to give us a sense of how you're spending your days. So we have actually a very busy period at the moment. We're preparing for a couple of big scale exhibitions. At one. Mm-hmm. here in the UK with the National Trust at Quarrybank. And then we have another exhibition that is coming up in Athens, which follows up from last year's UNDAI uh, through the algorithmic lens. And mm-hmm. it's another outdoor exhibition. So we're looking forward to, to these. And we've got a few other projects that are coming up. Fantastic. Well, let's go back to Athens last year. In 2021, you delivered an exhibit in the city that used AI to examine its challenges and opportunities using a public space rather than an art gallery to maximise exposure and engagement. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. The exhibition, as I said before, was called UNTAI Through the Algorithmic Lens. And the idea was to bring together a group of artists from across the world, but also researchers working with uh, technology, exploring artificial intelligence and algorithmic systems, Originally, the idea was to stage the exhibition indoors in in a gallery. Mm -hmm. But because of the pandemic, we had (laughs) to pause all the plans. And then suddenly we decided that uh, we could actually bring the exhibition outdoors to a park uh, in Athens uh, called Pedion uh, of Areos. And it's, it's a very large park in central Athens. And that was... Of course, a very challenging problem to have to bring in artworks that require a lot of technology, but also use artificial intelligence and are screen based, but also interactive in an outdoor area. But also it made it really interesting and very much on point in terms of what we wanted to say with the exhibition in terms of like how artificial intelligence has been entering not just our private space, but also public space Mm. with Mm. facial recognition, but also with data that is everywhere that we can't see. So this was a a really great opportunity to bring these conversations in a space where people would come across the exhibits and maybe take part in conversations that, you know, also people who wouldn't necessarily come to a gallery. So can you give us a little example of the interactivity that was available, how how people would typically interact in the park with one or more of the pieces? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I should say that this is a very interesting park in central Athens. So Pedion Tuareos started life as a military camp in the mid-1800s. And then eventually it became a public garden mm. for the for the city of Athens. It's also really interesting because it is constructed with European kind of aesthetics as a garden. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so there are like colonial kind of links there. And the other thing that is really interesting as well 
is that if you remember around the refugee crisis, th- there were like makeshift camps in the park. Wow. So there was a lot of controversy mm-hmm. in terms of like people who had nowhere to go and they were housed in the park like by the government mm-hmm. and it created, you know, tensions with, with the communities. So it has a very interesting history and we wanted to bring these conversations around AI in terms of colonialism as well, but also in terms of like okay. military power and of course thinking about injustice and you know like powerlessness as mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. so the exhibits were installed throughout the park in three different journeys that people yeah. could enter from either way just to give you an example right at the entrance the main entrance of the park there was this artwork called the normalizing machine which is by Mousson, Zeraviv, Dan Stavey mm-hmm. and Aaron Weisenstern and it is an interactive installation and what it does is that when you as a visitor go in front of the installation, it kind of um, identifies and analyzes your face, basically. And Mm -hmm. also it puts you in a position to choose from um, a pool of images of faces from people who have been in the park and they Mm -hmm. took part in the installation to to choose whose face is normal and who isn't. So it kind of, you know, analyzes people's decisions and uh, adds them to this algorithmic image of normalcy, if we want to say that. And it's inspired by a forensics pioneer, Alphonse Bertillon, who in the uh, late 1800s um, created the Magsot and the, the speaking portrait, which is used for classifying the human face. And of course, this mm-hmm. has so many links to older practices of standardizing, classifying faces, and also trying to understand somebody's personality from their facial characteristics, which is something mm. that, of course, was adopted by eugenics and yeah, right, Nazis. Exactly. And of course, we know that it's very wrong, but it's coming mm-hmm. back now with artificial intelligence and facial recognition. Sure. So how did people respond to this provocation? It was very interesting, actually, because there were many people that, of course, they found it very disturbing, the fact mm-hmm. that they had to choose, you know, which face was more normal than another. And, uh, of course, there were people that they understood, like, they were very interested in the interactive playfulness of the project, but mm-hmm. at the same time had so many questions about how these systems work and also bring back practices that we had abandoned historically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So do you think people were surprised at what the technology could do? Did they tend to find it more powerful, possibly in a negative way than they anticipated based on their lay knowledge of technology? Yeah, definitely. People were definitely very curious. And uh, of course, we had a very mixed crowd as well, because it's a park in a, in the center of a big city. It means that you find people from mm. all kind of backgrounds and also skills like professional, etc. So, of course, we realized that the majority of people, they're very well aware of the fact that technologies like that are pretty much everywhere in the public space. Mm -hmm. But of course, they were very interested to explore in depth the challenges and the issues that these technologies bring up. And of course, the lack of of equality and justice behind Mm -hmm. these systems and the bias as well, which very often we don't think about. Mm -hmm. Did other exhibits in the park have similar qualities or capabilities to provoke the visitors to reflect on technology and its misuses? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the majority of the installations were very much about provoking questions and also inviting people to interrogate the systems that we're creating. But also it was to explore how artists use artificial intelligence or algorithmic systems in creative ways Mm -hmm. uh, and also to create change. So to give you an example, we had a large mural which was 
on the floor uh, like of the of the central square so it was mm-hmm. very large to understand what it was actually mm-hmm. and it was an algorithm and that was created by Stop LAPD Spine Coalition which is a community of artists and activists in Los Angeles and they created a, a paper a report called Before the Bullet Hits the Body which led to the dismantlement of the uh, Los Angeles Police Department's predictive policing programs mm, okay. and this is exactly what the artists with in collaboration with also artist Bill Balascas, who is based in the UK, created this algorithm that the uh, Los Angeles Police Department was using was actually predicting crime in mm, the uh, in areas yeah. based on historical rate of crime. So, of course, it was biased and yeah. wrong. And the artists came together and through a series of community events, protests as well, they managed to dismantle this. But we, we placed it in the middle of that square, uh, very large where, of course, mm. you know, kids play or they're not aware, but also in a place where, of course, there are facial recognition cameras and there are security mm-hmm. cameras as mm-hmm. well. So it's just to kind of, you know, provoke. And that was done at a time when, of course, there was uh, a lot of unrest in Athens as well the previous months before okay. the exhibition in terms of like police brutality. So it was a very good timing in terms of bringing mm-hmm. into the public conversations like these. Fantastic. Sounds all very, very informative. Were there any public reactions which surprised you or any of the other artists? They reacted in ways that you just didn't expect. Uh, It was very interesting to have conversations through the exhibits in the Mm, park. mm -hmm. For example, how automated we think these systems are or intelligent Mm. (laughs) when at the same time there is hidden labor behind them. And of course, course, Global South is very much involved in that. And it was really interesting to actually meet people who are working as like ghost workers for these systems. So the, the conversations that we had were exciting and interesting and possibly conversations that we wouldn't have had if this exhibition yeah. had taken place in a, in a gallery. So mm-hmm. it was a really great opportunity to be able to bring it to the public space. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may come back to that later, how art can provoke different understanding of technology and AI. But I wanted just to, to focus a little bit more on AI and technologies that are related to AI. Do you typically explore in your work? Well, the work that we do is exploring, of course, not just the, the, the terrible things or like it yeah, is, it's yeah. not about being always, you know, thinking we shouldn't have technologies like that because, of course, we can't go backwards. We have always developed technologies in order to make our lives better or like more efficient, etc., etc. But our work at Future Everything has very much been focusing on having open and transparent conversations about how these technologies are being developed, who controls them, who benefits, but also whose lives are implicated. And we're, for example, exploring events where AI is used for for health reasons and bring people together to collaborate, to to explore ideas and future developments in terms mm. of AI in different sectors. But also we have critical conversations about these systems and how uh, artists can bring in different ways of thinking in other sectors. And this is very much central to the work that we do in making sure that since we are talking about AI, since we are talking about emerging technologies mm. and how these technologies 
world is affect and change and shape our lives and mm-hmm. our futures we think that it's vital that we bring in different people into these conversations, mm, whether true. this is like engineers, computer scientists, but also people from humanities, artists, arts organizations, business and local government. So it's kind of trying to understand like how we could change things for the best. No, I think it's fascinating because obviously now there's a lot of debate about ethical AI and there's a lot of focus on on framework, standardization, regulation, but we hear less about some of the approaches that you're reporting here is this accepted by technology companies at the moment are the big names responding positively to these dare i say provocations around the uses of their technology yeah if there is a chance to to come together it it takes a very long time and it's not always easy to to bring people together from from Mm. different sectors but when it does happen it is it is brilliant people in the tech sector they're not set to to, to do harm, but it is about opening up ways of, of perceiving and thinking. And one thing, of course, is diversity. If you have like a company that is 90% male or white, for example, it, it, of course, you will end up with biased systems. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it is very much about the understanding that we need more diverse voices mm-hmm. when it comes to the design and implementation of mm-hmm. these systems. Sounds like you're almost offering a counterbalance to some of the implicit biases that exist within the technology sector at the moment. Yeah. Fascinating. In terms of, I mean, you said a few minutes ago that we shouldn't be too negative. There are also positive uses of these technologies. And in our own center, we focus on creativity and AI. So how do you think these technologies can augment human creativity, both individually and collaboratively. Do you see roles and opportunities for these kinds of technologies in that direction? Yeah, definitely. Like I have seen like amazing uses of groups and communities from around the world. For example, you know, indigenous groups uh, mm. in Australia creating that response to <laughs> indigenous languages. So, so, you know, trying to diversify mm-hmm. and decolonize social media as well, but also yeah, yeah. artists like forensic architecture that is doing amazing work uh, in terms of like responding to human rights violations using cutting edge technologies and, for example, immersive technologies or digital modeling, spatial analysis, mm-hmm. architectural analysis, etc. Another example, Adam Harvey's work, V-Frame, which is an ongoing project. It's a toolkit that he designed. And it's very much a, it's, it's a computer vision toolkit. Mm. It is technology, artificial intelligence technology that is used in the commercial sector, but he's making it accessible and tailored to the needs of other groups, for example, mm-hmm. investigative journalists mm-hmm. or human rights researchers. So it is about who has access to these systems and what we can do to make things better rather than thinking Mm -hmm. about criminality or like thinking about like classifying people or creating more divisions. Exactly. It sounds like you're reporting examples where technology is being used to empower people in diverse groups rather than just counterbalance the biases that we mentioned a minute ago. Is Is that a fair summary? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So a few minutes ago, you talked about the use of art as a means of communicating with the public. And one common problem that I experience with our work is people's misconceptions of what AI is and how it can help. Often this misconception is shaped by fiction from Hollywood and other kinds of media sources. So in your experience, it sounds like public art can help us to communicate more effectively about what AI is, as well as what it might be and what it isn't. 
Do you see there are potential benefits and threats there in equal measure or is is there a direction of travel here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's exactly what you were saying, this misconception and also fiction, which Mm. is very much what we were discussing in this exhibition last year as well in in Athens. For me, it is about like fantasy vision. So there are these fantasy visions, like thinking about robotics as well. And Mm. we tend to anthropomorphize all of these systems, but also we tend to kind of think about challenges, Hollywood kind of puts them Mm -hmm, out in mm -hmm. terms of like uh, deadly robots but also on the other hand systems that are super intelligent and completely autonomous when this is not true in in a way. So the reality is that there is low paid human labor behind the systems. Great South is very much involved behind this, but also there is this replication of stereotypes and races, bias, and Mm -hmm. which we keep repeat by creating systems like that. Having art is not just a way to Uh, interrogate that and to communicate these challenges and and issues around these technologies that we create. But it's also Mm -hmm. very much about exploring ways where we can do things differently. Um, I will just bring up another example from the exhibition last year, if that's okay, which is um, by British artist Jake Elwes and his ongoing project called ZZ Queering the Dataset, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very much aiming to tackle the lack of representation and diversity in the training data sets used by facial recognition systems. Mm -hmm. So what Jake did was disrupting these systems and retraining them with the addition of drug and gender fluid faces uh, that Mm -hmm. he found online. And what, what you have in the end is the neural network sifts away from these normative identities that it was originally trained on Mm. and it kind of moves into a space of queerness. So it is Mm. interesting to have artists like Jake and so many other people that can present ways that we can change and disrupt these these ways that we do things. And it's rather sad that we have to disrupt these technologies in 2022, given the the diversity and richness that the culture that we certainly live in within Europe and and probably in North America is. is, It's rather a sad indictment of the world, isn't it? We have to, to bring about this disruption. Unfortunately, yeah, that's that's true. But it is to do with like how society, I guess, is mm-hmm. saved. And mm-hmm. there are, mm-hmm. unfortunately, injustice and inequalities uh, across yeah. society. Mm-hmm. And we tend to kind of repeat and recreate and replicate the mistakes mm-hmm. that we've done in the past. Indeed. And Indeed. one so, example, of course, is the physiognomics that we we're talking about before. Yeah. So technology is really a mirror held up to society in many ways. Yeah, exactly. That's a great analogy. You talked a few minutes ago about the low paid labour that's often enabling these technologies. Can you just give a few examples of those? Yeah, low paid labour is everywhere in terms of like when we browse online, for example, like social media monitoring and people who are behind and kind of checking that content that can be violent, etc. Like it doesn't oh, okay. end up in our screens, but also I'm thinking about even like these delivery kind of robots that go around cities exactly. right now and yeah, it's yeah. becoming more and more. I mean, there are people behind that that make sure that your food, etc. is going to the right destination. It's not It's not a very intelligent robot that you see on the on the street. And, and of course, all these machines that we see right now are automating, for example, the commercial sector. So when mm. I don't need to talk to anyone, but... Uh, yeah, when yeah. I check out and so so it is pretty much everywhere but we just don't realize that what happens is that this machine and this screen that goes on the front where you know you don't have a person anymore and it's mm. just 
you as a consumer. It doesn't mean that there isn't a person, a real person behind that processing and making sure that this machine works. So these ghost workers are pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's just that with these systems, we, we are hiding. Exactly. And do, do you think that this focus on automation, there's an increasing automation when we go to the supermarket and check out and so on, that creates a a false understanding of how most AI works for the public. In my experience, a lot of AI technologies that work well are are interactive. It's about augmenting and improving and assisting, not automating and removing. Do you feel that the people who come to your exhibits understand that or at least some understanding of that? I hope so. I hope they do. I mean, this is the whole purpose is that we we do have these conversations and also mm-hmm. the, the artists that we work with and also the, the installations and provocations that they bring out is mm. to interrogate all of this and to make us think because it is, I guess it can be quite misleading thinking that, oh, because we have artificial intelligence and it is perfect, it's working great and we can rely on it and it is completely uh, autonomous and intelligent. So, yes, I think it is important to have these provocations. Yeah, and you talked earlier about people being very engaged with the parks exhibits because they were interactive. So there's an opportunity there, I think, for us to grab people's attentions. I'm always much more drawn to an exhibit in a gallery which is interactive. I'm just a big child in me comes out when I want to play with things, even if I have to queue for a while to get the opportunity. Is that an opportunity that we can exploit with AI in the future, interactivity? Possibly, I guess play is important because we we do learn through play and Mm -hmm. it's not just kids, it's adults continue to learn through play. It's just that we don't do it, we forget about it. So it, it is a way to kind of engage you with the questions and also the topics that he's talking about. So it is an interesting way to to learn and get a more in-depth conversation with, mm-hmm. with the work. Do you ever find that there are new activities that are generated from people who visit your exhibits or, for example, the park? There's something new that happens. There's a new community that grows up in Athens in order to rethink how facial recognition has been used. Do you ever see these longer term effects from the use of your work? Uh, It is definitely great to hear from people later that Mm. this work or the exhibition or something that they saw and that they they learned through that or they interacted with stayed with them and it made them think differently. So, So this is definitely something that is important and something that we were hoping that we would have as an outcome. And that that also happens, of course, with galleries and museums as well. Mm -hmm, It's just that mm -hmm. being able to present work like that in a public space where you have very diverse communities and people and also interactions that you wouldn't have otherwise, I think this is quite definitely a brilliant outcome. Mm -hmm. So before we ask you a little bit more about what you're doing in 2022 and the kinds of exhibits and parks and so on that people will be able to visit. I just want to ask you three questions that we ask all of our podcast guests. At CBay, our aim is to build technology to support creative problem solving with tools that you can use every day. More ideas, more often creativity on demand, if you like. So let me test your creativity on demand with three short questions for you to answer. First question is, what is the single most important thing you need in order to be creative? To know that I have the freedom to to create (laughs) without being judged. Freedom without being judged. I completely agree. 
second question, if you could create any new tech or app that could do anything real or imaginary, what would it be? I would love to have something that can show us the impact that we've been having on the planet as humans. Because what we've been doing, like it's massive in terms of mm. like how we change the environment and Earth as well. So I would love to find an easy way to understand like this is how big an impact you had on the planet. Yeah, as an individual or as a society? Or I think maybe. as a society, probably, yeah. yeah. But also as an individual, I think that would be great because we don't often realize, we think that our actions are very small to have an impact. Yeah. No, there is. there are some apps out there that enable you to compute your uh, impact. I remember seeing those. And the third one is, if you could remove one thing from the world to make people more creative, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be prejudice. Prejudice. An excellent phenomenon to remove. Thank you, Irini. So what's next for you? Yes, we have some exciting exhibitions that haven't been officially announced, but if you check our website, futureeverything.org, we will be making announcements there. Also, we have an ongoing program called Future Focus Money and Environment, where we explore the ongoing complex relationships between economy, finance, and environmental change. And we have more critical conversations coming up. We're about to launch, actually, the um, recorded conversations that we had from a three-day program talking about art in the digital age, which we did with the British Council in Jordan. Oh. So this will go live this week. Gosh, you're so busy. It's extraordinary the amount of work you get through. So just to summarize for the listeners, much of what's coming can be found out on the website futureeverything.org. Irini was also a guest speaker at our Creative Con conference last autumn, where she discussed how the intersection of technology, art and culture is reflected in the work of the Future Everything Agency. If you're interested to hear more, you can see and listen to her speaker slot on our CBay YouTube channel. Irini, thank you very much today for taking some time to talk to us. Thank you so much, Neil, for having me. I enjoyed so much this conversation. Me too. The session's too short. We should have longer podcasts. Thank you to everybody for listening to the Creative Tech Podcast from CBay. Check the show notes for links and any other stuff we've talked about today. And please take time to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference. You can follow us on Twitter at CBay Center. That's C-E-B-A-I Center or on LinkedIn, Creativity Enabled by AI. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.